What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. We have a major reversal to the downside on Wall Street today with stocks selling off for the third straight session and by the biggest proportions in quite some time. We're down more than 1,500 points or 5.5% on the Dow right now. Uh, in fact, those are the biggest points decline to the Dow and the S&P in two months. Sentiment is weighed down by concerns over an increase in COVID-19 infections and by Fed Chair Powell's not-so-rosy outlook for the rest of the year. Let's dive right into today's drop with Dominic Chu, who's got all of the numbers for us. Dom? All right, so Kelly, we haven't seen these kinds of drops since just just around the lows or before the lows of the COVID-19 pandemic back in mid to late March. So we're watching the Dow down by about 15, 20 or so at the lows of the day. So right near the lows of the session, the S&P off four and a half percent, 145 points. The Nasdaq down by four percent as well. So trying to put together some kind of holding pattern here, given what we've seen. Now, take a look and walk with me here with the sectors. Every single one of them is in the red today. Defensive, cyclical, it doesn't matter. The gains are being led by consumer staples or rather relative losses. Consumer staples, communication services, consumer discretionary. Meanwhile, financials and energy, the real laggard so far today. Now, let's take a look at some of the big themes that we are seeing develop because it has been a play recently on the economic recovery. Those companies that do well. Look at the small cap stocks. They've been outperforming. They're the white line for quite some time here over the course of the last month. And now they've seen a huge dip. That's something to watch. Small caps versus large caps. Also take a look at some of these groups now as well. One of the things to watch is some of those stocks that have been a play on the economic upside. Oil and gas, ExxonMobil, down 6% today. Southwest Airlines, will people travel more? Down 10% today. Darden Restaurants, will people dine out more? Well, it's down 7.5% today. And then consumer discretionary, mall operator, Simon Property Group, down 12.5%. We'll finish here with some of these moves. Look at what's happening with the financials and interest rates. The bank ETF off 7% right now. Treasury note yields actually ticking just a little bit to the high upper end today here on the price side. Lower yields and the difference between long and short term rates, Kelly, has ticked lower. That's not necessarily good for banks. All of those trades and trends to watch. I'll send things back over to you. Yeah, we like steeper curves, not flatter ones. Dom, thanks very much. And he was just alluding to this. We have some big moves in rates in the dollar today. Let's bring in Rick Santelli out at the CME with more on that for us. What jumps out to you, Rick? You know, I think what jumps out to me is just a very generic way to look at the world. Right now, we're more in a risk-off mode, obviously. Look at equities. And I think risk-off mode is going to be much friendlier to the dollar. You know, when the world was all coronavirus uh, in the beginning, the first few chapters, everybody was nervous on the global effects uh, that it was going to have, how it would bring down economies. Of course, the dollar reigned supreme. Much of the funding was in dollars, and there was a scramble for dollars. Well, the Fed addressed that to some extent, and the pressure's eased. If you look at this chart of the dollar index, basically, the month of June, we saw close to a 3% drop. 
But today, as the world is a bit nervous again and potentially hot spots maybe flaring up again, you see that the pressure on the dollar was released a bit. I think that makes sense. And as we look to the fixed income markets and the 30 year bond auctions wrapping up now, we'll cover that in a few minutes. The Germans had a 30 year auction and, and they just couldn't get enough of it. It was like feasting at the all day buffet. And that gives us some enlightenment. Well, there is still a very big demand for sovereign high quality credits, whether it's boons or whether it's treasuries. So when the equity markets get a little nervous, look at the two year, hardly any movement at all. But look at the charts of the tens and the thirties. Look at the yields drop as we see global demand pick up on the buy side of this. And I think it makes sense. And the correlation with this super big drop in equities seems to go hat in hand with the notion that no matter how good stocks looked and how excited people may get to the reopening, it's going to be uneven. And when it's uneven, they sell stocks and they buy treasuries. And they're certainly doing that in mass today. Rick, thanks so much. Like you said, we'll see you again in a moment. But with today's steep declines, each of the major averages is seeing sell-offs reminiscent of the worst moments of the COVID crisis. There's only about three times uh, that the Dow has lost more points than this on the close. So we'll see what happens over the next couple of hours. There have been some red flags lately, like all of the frothy retail buying, the rising coronavirus case count in some parts of the country. So how much deeper could this correction go? Joining me now are Peter Bookvar, Chief Investment Officer at Bleakley Advisory Group, and Jeff Kilberg is CEO and founder of KKM Financial. Both are CNBC contributors. Peter, I'll start with you. Uh, you know, what do you make of it? Well, in perspective, the S&P 500 is essentially back to where we were two weeks ago. I think we've taken out of a lot of fluff over the past couple of weeks with this trip back to unchanged on the year in the S&P and up on the NASDAQ. Now, obviously, in January 2020 was estimated to be quite different than it's turning out to be. Estimates for 2020 in January were expected to be $170 a share. Now, while it's a throwaway year, we're talking like 120 to 125. So I know everyone was scratching on their heads. Why are we at these levels? And I think, as you said, the, the, the coronavirus count case going up was certainly a reminder that there's still going to be a bumpy road. Uh, we're going to see over the next couple of months what the state of the economy is going to look like as we reopen. Sentiment got very extreme. If we look at the investors' intelligence numbers, where the spread between bulls and bears were the highest since mid-January. The city panic euphoria index was in euphoria land. And also, as you mentioned, all the speculation going on in a lot of these bankrupt companies was just a sign of froth. So we were due for this. Wasn't expecting it all to happen in one day. Hmm. But this is the type of market when, when, that you're in when you have a VIX that is around the 25 to 30 level. Yeah, still pretty high. Jeff, I'll bring you in on that. Uh, as Peter said, you don't expect it all to happen in a day, but maybe you'd be happy happy if it did. How would we know whether this becomes a 5.5% kind of one-day correction or whether it's the start of a 10 or a 20% move? Well, Kelly, I think it's a great point that Peter brings up about the VIX. And let's look, where was the VIX last Friday? It was at 26. So here, nearly 40% higher, we're only at 35 Kelly, in the year of 2020, a VIX of 35, that's a walk in the park. So I see this as opportunity, not fear. And what's interesting to see, Peter bring up a great point about the dislocation in the stock market versus the reopenings as we continue to measure and gauge these reopenings. But what we are seeing is that the passive methodology, the passive investing in the last decade, I think that has come to an end. I think you have to become a stock picker. You can also utilize ETFs, but we are seeing 
opportunity in this pullback. And yes, the velocity of this move is sensational today, but this is nothing in comparison to what the month of March. So I think sure. I really am embracing this. And this is an opportunity. Look at the movement in the industrials the last two weeks. That movement in the industrials, that's not a fad. I think that's going to be a bigger theme in 2020 as we see some of these worse S&P sectors like energy as well as industrials gravitate investors. It's interesting, Jeff, you say people have to be stock pickers. Well, that's exactly what they're being right now. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> if, right. you know if picking Hertz was your idea of, you know, of kind of how people should be approaching this. But you are saying you think that energy in particular, where crude is off about 10 percent today and the sector is back on its heels. Why do you think that's a buying opportunity? Well, energy is actually, from a technical perspective, for the first time in a long time, Kelly, it's been illuminated on our matrix. So if you look at XOP, you know, that's uh, oil and gas exploration, which is an interesting ETF because there's a broader swath exposure instead of just picking a name like Chevron. But we do like a name like Chevron, and of course we're going to see volatility, but let's think about what happened. And I think the person who's really smiling today, Kelly, it's Fed Chairman Powell. Smiling. He has a big smile on his face because of the fact on March 23rd, when he came out at the very low, he told the market that they will be be there in an unlimited capacity in perpetuity. The S&P 500 skyrocketed 48% since he said that. So I think he's relieved to see a little bit of selling pressure because we were a little bit over our skis at 3,200 on the S&P 500. No, that, that's an interesting point. And Peter, I know you're obviously very concerned about this, about how the central bank kind of bid in the market gives people just the green light for to just keep buying hand over fist and whether that takes us back to the late 90s, the dot-com mania and all of that. Um, but at the same time, you know, I don't, I don't think the Fed wants us on our back feet because of a spread in COVID cases or, or anything like that. So, you know, can we have it both ways here? Can we make get a market that's less frothy but still rallies? Well, the, the whole point of the Fed cutting rates to zero and, and, and doing all this QE is to encourage speculation. And that's what they want. So where that speculation turns off is, is they don't necessarily care. They just want to stoke things. Uh, now, obviously, they, they hope that, that that speculation is more economic speculation in terms of households and businesses uh, spending and investing. But I think we've seen from the experience over the last 10 years in the U.S. and certainly in Japan and Europe that just cutting rates to zero and printing money, uh, it doesn't transmit into faster economic growth. And it transmits into other behavior, such as speculating in the markets. So what the Fed did, at least yesterday, by saying that we may not raise rates for years and we're going to continue uh, printing $20 billion of money out of thin air and buy treasuries every single week until maybe our balance sheet's $10 trillion, even though they didn't give that number. Well, look what they're doing to the banks. The bank stock index was down 6% yesterday. It's down about another 6% today. Wow. So their actions are actually being detrimental to a very important part of the U.S. economy, and that is our banking system, by damaging their profitability. Again, we saw that in Europe. We saw that in Japan. So I shouldn't be looking at the, at the Fed as somehow this savior and this booster to economic activity. I think we have to also see what the side effects are of what they're doing here. Real quickly, I want to just get a tactical move from each of you. Peter, what would you be buying here? Well, actually, I, I agree with Jeff on, on the energy space. I happen to like the, the commodity area, agriculture, energy, gold and silver, uh, copper, uh, that have been bombed out because the economy around the world will improve over the next year. I do think we're going to see higher inflation in the latter part of this year and into next year. And that's one area that I find very cheap and could be a play on that if I'm right. All right. So you guys agree on energy. But, Jeff, I think you disagree about buying gold. You'd be a seller here? 
you know, our model just actually sold gold today. So I think there's an opportunity to buy it lower. And I think it's interesting with that weaker dollar, why is gold not higher? But we're looking at two names in retail, Gap and Signet Jewelers. Those are specific names that we really like right now and we're long. We also like two industrial names, Masco and Xylem. Xylem touches the water space. So these are two names you typically don't hear about in the industrial space. But I think the retail as well as industrial, you'll see additional rotation out of financials, out of the NASDAQ 100 names. So I think there's opportunity, Kelly, and we're trying to embrace that opportunity right now. Yeah, well, opportunity to buy those stocks a lot lower today. All of them seeing 4 to 8% declines. It's great to have you both here, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Jeff Kilberg and Peter Bookvar talking through these Thank markets. You. Now we have a news alert in the bond market. Let's go back to Rick Santelli for the results of that 30-year auction. I hope it went off a little better, Rick. You know, I was generous today. I gave this auction a C minus, so a bit below average. Let's go over the details. It's a reopening of 30-year bonds, uh, 19 billion of them to be exact. The yield, 1.45. That was definitely on the high side of where it was trading in the one issued market, but it didn't really spike out too badly. And all the internals of this are just slightly below average. 230 bid to cover, 62.2 on indirects is actually the weakest since just February of this year, so not to- so far back. 13.3 on directs. And maybe the most uh, enlightening aspect of this auction is that dealers took about 24.5% of the auction. That's the most they've taken since September of 2019. And when dealers take a lot, it's because investors haven't. So it was a bit on the light side with a C minus. But do keep in mind, uh, it's almost worse than that because on a day like today when equities are down and you see how yields have dropped rather dramatically, I'm a little surprised we didn't get a bolder response by investors yeah. jumping into the auction of this long-duration, sovereign, high-quality security. Kelly, back to you. I totally agree on that, Rick. I mean, you said in Germany, their 30-year auction, they were feasting at an all-day buffet when the demand was so strong. And here, they're like picking at a cauliflower pizza. It is odd. And the reason why I ask, as you said, it's usually good if there's not huge demand for the safest haven asset. But again, I keep thinking about all the issuance we're going to have to have. And you just, you know, you you don't want auctions getting a C and a D and, and worse grades all the time. I agree. You know, there's all these questions as to whether equity should be here. And today, obviously, we're realigning a little bit. But in the grand scheme of things, inflation could save the day down the road and equities would be fine. I'm much more worried about the trillions and trillions of debt around the globe eventually pushing yields up and definitely making the demand for the auctions considerably less, maybe even than C minuses down the road. Yep. As we just got today. Rick, thanks so much. Rick Santelli with the auction results there. Let's get to some big news on Instacart this afternoon. Deirdre Bosa here with the details for us. Deirdre. Hey, Kelly. Instacart has raised $225 million, valuing the company at $14 billion. Now, it last raised money in 2018 at a valuation of just under $8 billion. So the latest now makes it one of the most valuable unicorns in the U.S., bigger than other sharing economy names like DoorDash and Postmates, and bigger than several public ones like Lyft and Grubhub. Now, the round was led by DST Global and General Catalyst. In a statement, Instacart CEO and founder, Apoorva Mehta says that, quote, COVID-19 created a massive shift for the grocery industry. Overnight, Instacart became an essential service for millions of families. Now, Instacart has, of course, been one of the biggest benefactors of that shift. According to research firm Second Measure, it is now the biggest player in grocery pickup and delivery. Its market share jumping to 55 percent in mid-May, up from about 30 percent in February surpassing Walmart. Now, at the same time, Kelly, the latest funding round comes amid rising unrest from Instacart's shoppers and growing scrutiny from lawmakers. Back to you. 
That's true. And we know the regulatory scrutiny often follows, as it has with Airbnb and so many other business models. Uh, still some big news for them and a sign maybe of the pandemic plays that are really working. Deirdre, thanks so much. Deirdre Bosa with that funding news. Going to take a quick break. Coming up is the frothy trading and bankrupt companies and penny stocks, a sign that the sell-off may just be getting started. We'll dig deeper into that. Also take a look at shares of the S&P High Beta ETF. It's on pace for its worst day since March. The move is led lower by Freeport McMoran, American Airlines, and Under Armour. Those are your high beta names today. We're back in two. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to the exchange. Even as stocks have sprung off their lows this year, the bills could be getting through. Uh, the bills for getting through COVID could be coming due for a long time. Business debt in the January through March quarter surged by the most since 1973, according to the latest Fed numbers. Could this spoil the stock market's continued rebound? For more, I'm joined by Mark Lashini, chief investment strategist at Janney Montgomery Scott, and Terry Spath is chief investment officer at Sierra Investment Management. It's great to have you both here. Mark, I'll just start with you on this debt issue. I mean, these, this is a huge increase, and you just wonder if it's going to act as a break on the recovery. Well, Kelly, it sure could. I mean, the good news is, at least prior to the pandemic, uh, consumer balance sheets and income statements, for that matter, were in particularly strong shape. We had seen wage increases occurring at a regular basis. Uh, Debt had been pared down to levels last seen a generation ago. The service costs in those debt levels because of low interest rates are at multi-generational lows. So as a consequence of that, uh, we've seen a buffer in place, of course, that's only been exaggerated by the government's largesse here by way of the stimulus checks. And so we saw a spike in the savings rate here just in the last couple of weeks, up to 33 percent, which is like anything we've seen even greater than that, which we saw in the aftermath of World War II. So hopefully there is some powder dry that can be available as funding to support those indebted levels as a consequence of it that leaves consumption uh, largely uh, to continue to prime economic activity. But uh, if it should continue to mount by way of the coronavirus spread continuing on for a considerable period of time, it would become increasingly worrisome to what's needed to restart the economy, which is, of course, consumer spending. Yeah, no, absolutely. Terry, I'll bring you in with kind of the same question. And also uh, just looking at the markets the last couple of sessions, were the kind of gains off of the lows a one-time phenomenon? And do you think that the rally uh, looks very different from here on out? Yeah, thanks, Kelly. I mean, I think the biggest question, I don't think, the the biggest question that we have received recently from our own clients is, why is the market doing so well with the data being so disastrous in the economy? And so I think that that's reflective of the fact that we've just had such a big and sharp bounce back from the lows. And in our view, you know, risk matters, defense matters, discipline matters. And so just chasing returns because the Fed said, you know, we're going to buy everything. It doesn't mean be a zombie and buy everything. It means pay attention, have discipline, and look at risk as well as return. And so make sure that you're aware that there can be a lot of volatility throughout the summer as this um, 
market got a little bit ahead of itself more recently. It's interesting, Terry, because one of your investment calls is actually to buy high yield debt. You know, the very debt that companies are issuing to get through this that we're worried could hang, be a hangover on the whole economy. But why does that look attractive? Because it does offer kind of relatively better yields right now. Right. So, yeah, let me be careful about how I say this. So buy high yield corporate bonds over small cap stocks. So companies that are growing quickly that need to borrow money, you know, not to excess like we, like uh, Mark was just mentioning, but that need to borrow in order to grow can be high yield corporate bond companies or issuers of high yield corporate bonds versus small stocks. If you're looking at the risk return and you want exposure to that and you're not trying to be super timing, high yield corporate bonds over small stocks. Similarly, emerging market debt over emerging market equities, preferred stocks over financial stocks. So again, always being conscious of the risk that's involved. We hate drawdowns. We hate losing money. Um, we want to earn a nice return like everyone else. But I think sometimes we can forget about the risk that's involved. Yeah. And the kind of comparative places to look for that return. Mark, let me turn back to you with a question about the coronavirus specifically. Are we going to have to wait for the case count to stop rising or to kind of start cresting in some of these states, especially the southern states, before the market can find its legs again? I don't know that it'll have to come to that, Kelly. I mean, obviously, the market moved in advance of the peak in cases across the United States in the aggregate. So I think what we want to see is, of course, that the number of new cases arrests, at least by way of the rate of change of them, not necessarily that they have to peak and go down. In fact, I think it was pretty widely expected that as these states reopen, Georgia, of course, the first one to do so, that we were likely to see some spread of new cases, as long as it doesn't, though, become uncontrollable, either by way of an acceleration in the cases uh, so egregiously high as the concern of those that might worry about a renewed lockdown of these states, but as well that which doesn't hopefully by way of fatality or before that morbidity overwhelm the healthcare system again, which is far away from where we are, at least at the moment. And so I think any kind of news that shows that the number of new cases while growing isn't set to overwhelm the healthcare system, I think the market will ultimately get its legs again concurrent to seeing economic activity once again percolating back to life as uh, we're seeing not only domestic conditions improve, but the, the global economy as well. Yeah. All right. Mark Lashini, Terry Spath, good to check in with you both. Thanks. We appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Kelly. And coming up, Regeneron shares are hitting an all-time high today despite the tough markets. The company beginning human testing of its COVID-19 treatment. Ahead, we'll speak exclusively with the CEO of Corning about the timeline for delivering COVID drugs and vaccines. Plus, a look at how retail traders have been profiting off the backs of billionaire hedge fund managers, so far at least. Is today the start of a big trend reversal? And take a look at the big Dow losers right now with the index down 1,364 points. Boeing having a major reversal day down by 11% right now. Dow Inc. and Travelers lagging as well. We're back in two. We could try to explain what it's like to get your work done on a John Deere mower, compact tractor, or Gator XUV. But to really understand the feeling, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the you. Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. Boeing and the major airlines are getting crushed today after they saw a massive rally over the past week. Let's get out to Phil LeBeau for more on what's driving the action here, Phil. Uh, Kelly, this is a case where people said anytime you have stocks or a single stock that's gone up 100% over three weeks, maybe it's time to take a little bit of profit. That's at a minimum what's going on. You mentioned that they're all getting hammered today. They're all down between 8 and 11%. When you look at the airline index, and we're going to show you this over the last month, look at the run-up that they had the previous three weeks, and that just came to a screeching halt on Monday. And that's when you started to see the sell-off, down about 20% this week. Some of the individual stocks we want to highlight here, First of all, American Airlines. This is a company that has said, look, we're making progress in terms of cutting our cash burn. We did expect it previously to be $50 million a day by the end of June. We now think it'll be $40 million per day by the end of June. That is encouraging news, but clearly it shows that this is a sector where they're going to continue to burn through cash, at least through the summertime. Delta out raising another $1.25 billion in a debt offering that they unveiled yesterday. That closes tomorrow. And then let's talk about Boeing and one of its chief suppliers. Now, shares of Boeing, like the rest of the, uh, the, the airlines and the aviation sector, this is the primary drag on the Dow today. Uh, down more than 10%. And Spirit Aerospace, this is the company that makes the fuselages for the 737 MAX. Well, Boeing sent them a letter saying, hold off on the production that you were going to begin on 16 of those fuselages. And as a result, Spirit has said, okay, well, for the next three weeks, we're going to have to lay off some workers. So still a bumpy beginning to that restart of production for the 737 MAX, at least when you look through the whole uh, supply chain. Kelly? Also, Phil, it's interesting to kind of pivot to the automakers, look at what's been happening there with Tesla's yep. market cap. I think yesterday we said it was $186 billion. Nikola, which has yep. never sold a car, $24 billion. <laughs> you know, I, whether you can call Tesla frothy, who knows, but obviously Nikola is more emblematic of where retail traders were super interested. You know, these, I guess, are, would be the places to watch as well if the air is coming out of the balloon. Uh, Kelly, I ran into somebody yesterday who said, how about Nikola? And I said, hey, interesting. Do you know where they build their uh, vehicles? And they're like, I'm not sure. But I, but I know they're red hot and I know electric vehicles are coming on. <laughs> that, that's the market that we're in right now. And look, Nikola someday could be a, a, a company that is making a profit and turning out vehicles. But at this point, that run-up is clearly on the enthusiasm that people believe electric vehicles are coming and they think that Nikola is going to be a player there. Yeah, and they like, you know, the new Tesla. You know, a Tesla's old news, Phil. You know, sure. The, yeah, you, you got to find the, the next, uh, the next yeah, new thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, both of them pausing today, obviously, as the market sells off. Phil, it's good to check in with you. Thank you, sir. Phil LeBeau with the latest on the autos and the airlines, all under pressure. Let's get over to Sue Herrera now for our CNBC News update. Hi, Sue. Hello, Kelly. Hello, everyone. Here's what's happening at this hour. Microsoft says it will not sell its facial recognition technology to police departments, and it joins IBM and Amazon in withholding that technology until federal regulations are in place. A Microsoft executive told a tech conference today the company needs to, quote, protect the human rights of people as this technology is deployed, end quote. U.S. House Republicans are working on their own police reform plan. That's according to Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who says he supports a ban on chokeholds. House Democrats unveiled their plan earlier this week. And protesters transforming Rio de Janeiro's Copacabana Beach overnight into a COVID-19 graveyard. 
The demonstration's leaders say that the protest is aimed at the government, which has played down the dangers of that pandemic and has recently stopped providing total case and death toll numbers. One of the worst hotspots in the world right now. You are up to date. That's the news update this hour. Kelly, back to you. Yeah. All right, Sue, thanks very much. Sue Herrera. Ahead, the retail sector is getting crushed today. We're talking about the actual retailers, not the retail investors, although maybe it's a little bit of both. Anyway, uh, we're looking at people taking profits after some major gains in sentiment souring in some states where we've seen a rise in COVID cases. Uh, cases Macy's, Capri, PVH, L Brands, and Kohl's are all sinking. Many of them are down more than 10%. We're going to have a whole lot more on this and today's big sell-off with the Dow down 1429 after this short break. Welcome back to The Exchange. We have a major sell-off on Wall Street today as investors are cautious about a new wave of COVID cases and about economic growth. The Dow right now is down 1,452 points, so we're about 100 points off the lows right now, a decline of 5.4%. The S&P down 4.5%. The Nasdaq down 3.7%. It is interesting that the blue-chip industrials are the worst performer, but they've also been the catch-up trade of late. So let's take a look at the sectors. And as you can see, not a single one is in the green behind me today. The quote-unquote best performer are consumer staples, relatively solid, uh, kind of 2.5% decline here. On the other side, energy is down almost 7% in the session right now. Materials down 6.6%. And the financials have gotten a lot of attention for their weakness. We talked about this with Peter Bookvar earlier. They're down 6.4% today. They were down 6% yesterday. So we're talking about a 12% decline in two sessions, which many are tracing back to the Federal Reserve and their pledge to keep interest rates low, perhaps as long as 2022, unless the unemployment rate gets a lot better a lot more quickly than that. Here's a look at oil. As I mentioned, energy is the worst sector, and oil is having a big drop. We were down 10% a little while ago, down about 8.5% right now. The energy spider is down 7%, and the major names in the space, Exxon and Chevron, they're down more than 6%, so not really spared the sell-off today. Let's dig into that bank move a little bit as well that I was telling you about. Both of the major bank ETFs, the KRE and the KBE, are having their worst week since May 15th. They're down 7.5% right now. Regional Bank almost down 8%. Some of the major names, J.P. Morgan down 6.5%. So again, big balance sheets are not being spared in the sell-off. Bank of America down 8%, Wells 7.5%. And finally, take a look at the social media stocks. These are not really being spared in the move today. So Facebook is down 4%, Twitter down 5%, Pinterest down 7%, Snap is down 4%, uh, in fact, and we're going to speak with the CEO next hour. First, let's get to David Faber, though, who has some breaking news on Grubhub after speaking with CEO Matt Maloney earlier here on CNBC. David? Yeah, uh, thank you, Kelly. Yeah, one of the few stocks, of course, that is up today in this very broad and nasty market sell-off we're watching this morning. This is not specifically related, though, to the deal, of course, which has resulted in Grubhub shares being up roughly 5%. What we can tell you now is uh, just a few moments ago learned that a uh, lawsuit has been filed by Yum Brands against Grubhub in uh, New York State Supreme Court. Uh, and it's specific to an agreement between the two companies that was signed back, I believe, in 2018. It was a partnership with Grubhub. This is Yum on behalf of all of its franchises, of course. We're talking uh, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, in which it allowed for delivery. Uh, apparently, last week, Grubhub terminated this agreement last Friday uh, in a letter uh, that was sent um, to Yum. And uh, Yum is saying that that was a, a breach of a contract uh, that they had, this master services agreement that they had entered into in 2018. By the way, part of that, Yum invested $200 million. So they own about 3% or so of Grubhub. They also had a, 
uh, director appointed to the company's board. So they expanded the board from nine to 10. So not an unimportant partnership here that apparently is blowing up again with Grubhub having um, unilaterally removed itself from the partnership on Friday. And now Yum coming back and suing them and saying, you couldn't do that. You shouldn't have done that. We want to get an injunction, of course, against it. Uh, and apparently there was a mechanism by which they could have negotiated for new terms under the agreement, Kelly. So interesting, of course, in light of the deal itself, which we've been talking about through the course of yesterday and today, uh, and one of the few stocks, of course, as well, that is up. So uh, I did want to share that with our viewers at this point. Very much unclear whether it will have an impact on the deal itself, but certainly two big companies that are now going to be engaged in litigation. David, what does it tell you about how the Grubhub process has played out overall, especially at a time when you could say these were hot stocks because of the pandemic, delivery became a really important option. I don't know how that played into it, but, you know, what started out as a possible tie-up between Uber and Grubhub now has kind of Grubhub partnering with a European company and being sued. I mean, it doesn't, you know, I'm just curious what you make of that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not, I, I don't, it's very early here. I've got to read through this entire lawsuit. I'm not clear the connection between necessarily them pursuing the deal and deciding to unilaterally withdraw from this agreement, this partnership agreement that they had with, with Yum. But of course, as we've detailed over these last few weeks, Kelly, um, the back and forth between Uber did not uh, come down to price where they had an agreement, although Matt Maloney disagreeing a bit on that, but I'm pretty confident that's the case. It came down to concerns about antitrust, given these are two large competitors. Uh, and in fact, almost the only two competitors in a couple of key markets, New York, Boston, for example, concern well-founded on the part of Grubhub that the union might get challenged, perhaps by federal regulators at the Department of Justice or even on the ground in cities and municipalities. And so they wanted assurances if they moved ahead. They couldn't get what they wanted from Uber. They attracted interest from other parties. But what's even more interesting, perhaps, Kelly, is you've got a company now moving in from abroad, but it doesn't narrow the competitive landscape. In fact, it only brings even even deeper pockets into this area, which probably means even more uh, fighting over price uh, and could make things even more difficult for the likes of Uber Eats, which already loses money here, DoorDash, which is still planning on going public, and obviously now Grubhub with its deep-pocketed European owner. So we'll, we'll be watching it closely. Yeah, no, I'm sure. And Uber down 8% today. Instacart now valued higher than DoorDash. So a lot of interesting ways this is shuffling out. David, it's good to see you. Thanks. Sure thing. David Faber. Shares of Corning are also dropping today amid the market sell-off. They're down 6%. We're going to have the CEO next to talk about how the company has gotten a major investment from the government to manufacture glass that will help make a COVID vaccine possible and what that means for the company. Also, check out the most searched tickers on CNBC.com right now. This is quite the list. The Dow itself is topping the list, followed by Tesla, Boeing, Amazon, and Apple today. All are lower. We're back in two. Welcome back to the Exchange of Market Bellwether. The semiconductor names are selling off deeply today, along with the rest of the market. The sector's down more than 4%. Let's check in with Josh Lipton in the conservatory for more on this. Hi, Josh. So, Kelly, check out the SME, SMH, that's the ETF that tracks the chips, and it is taking a tumble today, now on track for its worst day since May 1st. So remember, this group has surged, Kelly. It's uh, more than 50% 
rally there from its March low. It's actually on track for its best quarter since 2001. Notable laggards, though, today in today's trade would include AMD, Micron, Qualcomm, and Applied Materials. I just spoke with Susquehanna's Chris Rowland. He covers the sector. Um, he chalks this up to profit-taking after that big move. The space is a bit overbought here, he said, in the short term. What's he telling clients right now? Names he likes include Broadcom as a play on handsets and the 5G trend. Marvell, he says, is a play on the infrastructure side. And if this dip continues, he told me, then he would look for those semi-names with exposure to autos, to industrials, and that would include names like Texas Instruments. Kelly, back to you. All right, good stuff, and it is beautiful there. Uh, Josh, thanks very much. Josh Lipton. Shares of Regeneron and Moderna are bucking the sell-off today, with Regeneron hitting new all-time highs. This following news by both biotech companies on the COVID-19 front. Regeneron says it's begun human trials of its experimental coronavirus antibody, which would treat the disease. The company telling CNBC earlier that we could know within two months whether or not it's effective. And Moderna is starting the final testing stage of its coronavirus vaccine in July, which will involve 30 30,000 volunteers. But developing a vaccine that works is only one part of the equation. Manufacturing and distribution are just as critical. On that note, let's bring in Meg Terrell with a look at one company that's going to play a vital part in that process. Meg? Hey, Kelly. Well, there's a question about when we get a vaccine, if we are lucky enough to get one, will we have enough materials to manufacture them for the entire world? And one of the key components there, of course, are the glass vials that the vaccines go in. Uh, BARDA this week announced a $204 million grant to glassmaker Corning to support domestic manufacturing capacity expansion to try to support the provision of these vials for vaccines and potentially therapeutics as well. So joining us to discuss that investment and the landscape in general is Wendell Weeks, the CEO and chairman of Corning. Uh, Mr. Weeks, thanks for being with us. Tell us about this $204 million grant that you got from BARDA and how much that will enable you to increase your manufacturing capacity. Well, what this allows us to do is to begin to put in place the manufacturing and distribution required to help facilitate actual play out of the drug in humans. Well, in his whistleblower suit, Rick Bright, the former BARDA director, warned that we might face a glass vial shortage and that it could take two years to make enough glass vials just to serve the U.S. vaccine market if we do get a COVID-19 vaccine. From where you sit, does the country, does the world uh, have the capacity to make enough glass vials on the time frames we're talking about for these vaccines? Well, we work with Rick for a number of years and with BARDA on their important mission. Uh, what this whole program is about is as a first priority to make sure that we have enough vials for the U.S. population. We still have more work to do to make sure we have enough doses for the whole world. And that still remains ahead of us, and you can depend on us to be working hard on it. And how do you actually accomplish that? I mean, do you need to build new facilities? Can you use the existing facilities you have uh, more efficiently? I mean, how does this process work? Because just to give some scale, you know, I was talking with Pfizer uh, about this and they say right now they make 500 million doses of vaccine per year for all of their vaccines. Now, if they're successful, they could be making almost that much just for this one COVID-19 vaccine. So that scale is just massive. So how do you do this? That's exactly correct. And we're going to be doing all the above. Here, we're going to be increasing the size 
and scale of our manufacturing in New York, New Jersey, as well as North Carolina. And we're going to be doubling our manufacturing workforce just to start. Uh, as this ramps and as it becomes clearer what are going to be the right treatment regimens, we'll respond with even more aggressive moves in manufacturing. Now, you said in your announcement that uh, with the BARDA funding, priority access will be given to designated BARDA vaccine and drug development partners. Just tell us kind of what, what that means in terms of operating under Operation Warp Speed, um, how you'll prioritize who you work with. Well, our first sort of ring of priority will be determined by those other members of Operation Warp Speed that are with us. Uh, but then we also want to be able to support people beyond that ring. Innovation is really hard to just pick ahead of time. And so we want to make sure we have the capability to work with as many folks as we can to help meet this pressing human health need. All right, Wendell Weeks, thank you so much for joining us to discuss what will be such an important issue if and when we're lucky enough to get a successful vaccine. Thanks for being here. Meg, our thanks to you as well. That's Wendell Weeks, the CEO of Corning, and our very own Meg Terrell. Appreciate it very much. Let's check in on the retail ETF, the XRT, falling more than 5% now as stocks are tumbling with the rise in COVID cases in some states. We're going to get a check on the names making the biggest moves coming up. Let's also get a check on the casinos, which are getting hit today despite being reopened for business. MGM, the laggard, falling more than 12%. Concerns about demand still being extremely weak out in Macau. Those aren't helping today. Stay with us right here on The Exchange. Welcome back. We have a news alert on Snap. Shares down 4% today. Let's get over to Julia Borston. Julia? Snap just hosting its annual Developer Day, announcing partnerships with developers, media companies, brands, and sports leagues as it takes steps to expand Snapchat from just being an app to becoming a platform that includes many other companies similar to China's popular WeChat platform. Now, in its first big move into the local ads business, it's adding a free tool called Places, for businesses to appear within the SNAP map, which it announced now reaches over 200 million people monthly, and it's giving some small businesses $500 to jumpstart their advertising. It's also opening its platform to new mini apps that can be embedded within it, starting with a Headspace meditation app and an Adam Tickets movie app, along with games that Snapchatters can play with each other. It's also introducing the camera kit to enable developers like Nike and the MLB to use Snap's augmented reality technology within their own apps. This is a play to get more brands to use Snap's AR technology and lay the groundwork for more AR ads down the road. Now, all of these announcements are designed to keep Snap's users engaged and to ultimately end up offering up more advertising and generating that revenue. Guys, back over to you. How much do you think this will, I mean, I guess we could check on shares of Facebook, see if they're, you know, they're already down in the session today, Julia, obviously, but how much of a dent do you think this will make in their competition against Facebook and Instagram? Well, look, I think perhaps the most interesting announcement here in terms of near-term revenue opportunity is this real outreach to small businesses. We've heard a lot from Facebook. Sheryl Sandberg has talked extensively about just how important small businesses 
are for Facebook. What Snap's doing here is really going after that whole category of advertisers by allowing them for free to position themselves on this map that Snapchatters use to find their friends and to do other things. They're not going to be charging for that to try to generate goodwill and show the value of Snapchat, but there is an obvious transition to, to enable those advertisers to really spend to reach out to people who are nearby. So I think that's a huge opportunity there, and that those small businesses are incredibly valuable for both Instagram, Facebook, and, of course, Snapchat as well. Yeah, and it's been a tough slog lately with the pandemic. Julia, thanks. We appreciate it. And you'll be back on Power Lunch with the CEO of Snap, Evan Spiegel. We look forward to that around 2.15 p.m. Eastern time. Julia, we'll see you then. Appreciate it. Our Julia Borston. Coming up with stocks selling off for the third day in a row, we're going to look at the big role traders are playing in the market, day traders especially, and how they've been profiting off of hedge funds. Can it last? That's next. Welcome back. Dow's down 1,450 points. We're only about 100 points off the lows of the session that we reached just about at the top of this hour. 5.4% decline right now, 4.5% down for the S&P and 3.8% down for the NASDAQ. And one of the things that we were seeing in the big market run up until now was retail investors profiting off of the back of billionaire hedge fund managers, at least when it comes to the bankruptcy stocks. Leslie Picker is here for a closer look at how. Leslie. Hey, Kelly. Yeah, the smart money has really been dumbfounded here because the laws of finance say that equity holders rarely recover money in bankruptcy because bondholders, in order of seniority, get paid out first. So when shares of companies in Chapter 11 proceedings, think of names like Hertz and Whiting Petroleum, began soaring over the last week, it defied all logic. But the retail investors who were buying up shares in these companies, well, they don't need logic, just a way to make a quick buck at the expense of some sophisticated hedge funds on the other side of the trade. That's exactly what happened because the hedge fund strategy is called capital structure arbitrage, colloquially cap structure arb. Oftentimes when it comes to a distressed company, this involves shorting the equity while going long the bonds to capture mispricings up and down the capital structure. So the idea is that stocks and bonds trade differently differently during the restructuring process, and algorithmic trading can really come in and capture the relative value. When day traders, though, started bidding up shares of bankrupt companies, it caused a short squeeze, sending stocks in those companies even higher as the hedge funds were forced to cover. Cal. Interesting. I didn't realize they were directly causing that short covering scramble. That, that's, you know, it, it does kind of pit one group against the other. When, when Hertz went to six bucks, Leslie, mm-hmm. I think people's, I mean, they're, they're, they, didn't, they didn't know what, what to do. And I guess the question now, not that we know yet, but is to what extent is this correction today going to wipe out a lot of that kind of frothy trading activity or could it be here to stay? Well, people always say that, you know, in these types of markets like we're seeing today, rationality tends to prevail and people start looking at their portfolios and saying, "Okay, some of this risky stuff, maybe I should pair that back. So that, I think, is the key question here. Another important thing to note is a lot of these bankrupt stocks are super illiquid. Very, very small market cap. So even just the tiniest move, which is what amplified the power of these retail investors, uh, can cause a lot of uh, volatility in those stocks just because the float size is so incredibly tiny at the point in which they're undergoing Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceedings. Fascinating. Leslie, thanks for following the money for us. We appreciate it. <laughs> Leslie Picker with those details. Thanks, Another place people have been chasing is retail. The XRT retail ATF, though, is down nearly 5% today. Let's get more from Courtney Reagan, who's watching all the action for us. Courtney? 
Hey, Kelly, so you know consumer spending, of course, 70% of GDP. So any recovery is going to be really dependent on the consumer's ability and desire to spend, of course, across the board. And that's a big question mark, I think, today as we're trying to figure out how long this recovery is going to take and what it looks like. So you know that Macy's CEO did say that early reopening trends are better than expected. They're improving, but still well below what the company was seeing pre-pandemic. And even with strong online sales, it's not enough to sort of make up that difference. Department stores we know already downtrending, and with many of them anchoring malls, that's an area that most predict will be very delayed in the recovery. So shares tanking, Macy's down 12%, Nordstrom down 11% today. Then you've got other non-anchor but mall-based apparel retailers really taking it on the chin today. Names like Gap, American Eagle, look at Guess down almost 16%, as well as L Brands, which of course is a parent of Victoria's Secret and Bath and Body Works. Even athletic retailers retail stocks are selling off today. Look, we know a lot of the youth summer camps have uh, basically been called off or canceled. Youth sports leagues, kids can't play like normal. Even some of the adult exercising classes, those aren't happening. So some of those uh, probably items are not being sold as much, even if there is some bump from athleisure as well. And I think it's worth noting there are names that will buck the trend, like a BJ's Wholesale, now about flat. Dollar General and Walmart also about flat, but had been up a bit at least earlier in the session, selling those essential items and often in non-urban areas. Yeah, Walmart for a while was the only Dow stock in the green. Courtney, JCPenney, too, had been getting a ton of of, of retail interest. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Kind of to some of the point that Leslie had been talking about there. It is a name, of course, that has filed for bankruptcy. It is in reorganization. That doesn't necessarily mean liquidation. Maybe some folks are betting on some hope and spending just a little bit of money to be able to do so. I know. That's what it takes for JCP these days. Courtney, thanks very much. We appreciate it. Courtney Reagan with all the latest retail action there. And that does it for The Exchange today. Thank you so much for tuning in. And don't go anywhere. I'm joining Tyler for Power Lunch, which starts right now. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 